Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends, Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Bill McBride here with Andrew Marth for another Friday episode of From the Feed, bringing you the top articles from today's leading financial publications. Today, we cover six articles from your current financial news feed. Let's give you a taste of the topics that everyone's talking about. Billionaire's tax. What the heck is a metaverse? Tesla earnings and pricing. The greed index is rising. Shiba Inu and the greater fool theory. All right, let's take a look at this new spending bill, Andrew, and all the talk about how to pay for it. Got a couple articles here, one from yahoo.com, Democrats clash on billionaire tax as Neil rejects Senate plan. And another one simply uh, from CBS News, what is a billionaire's tax and how would it work? So digging into this, Andrew, the the billionaire's tax, there's a difference between that and the wealth tax, right? So the billionaire's tax, what they're talking about is taxing the unrealized gains on the 700 wealthiest people in the country, right? Whereas the wealth tax is just taking a percentage of the wealthiest people's overall wealth, right? And, And I just, you know, the wealth tax makes no sense to me meaning that there's going to be ways around that wealth tax and right and how do you annually appraise somebody's uh, real estate holdings you know somebody that's worth like Bezos somebody's worth you know 300 billion dollars how are you going to ascertain what the value is on a year by year basis of 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 that person's wealth right cuz the margin of error the some assets right marketable securities they're easy to obtain a value for sure but even in theory like the whole logic of it doesn't really make sense right because what if on december 20th the market crashes well couldn't conceivably all of the wealthiest one percent of you know wealth owners just crash you know the markets the financial markets in the last three weeks of the year, and now asset prices are thirty percent less. Like it just—it doesn't incentivize people, particularly job creators and wealth creators, to act according to what is going to be in the best interest of the greater good in the economy. And yeah. to your point, how, how are you going to value privately owned businesses and real estate holdings and things that? aren't as marketable and don't have a a free-flowing buy and sell marketplace where it's easy to obtain a farm a fair market value that everybody could could agree on. I'm I'm with you Andrew and and the the job creator aspect of it I think is an unpopular opinion, right? Because we hear we hear all these catchphrases in the news about, you know, billionaires, wealth tax and and the the inspiration for these articles is is really to kind of anger people and get people behind, hey, you know, that person's too rich and, and what they're doing is, you know, they're not paying their fair share. It, granted, 
that the percentage of their overall income that has not been realized as realized taxable gains is is not taxed at all, right? And but that's that's how capitalism works. And as job creators, you know, Amazon's got eight hundred and seventy six thousand employees now, right? Yes, Bezos is buying hundred and fifty million dollar homes like it's like it's candy. But at the same time, he's also paying $150 million property taxes on the homes that he's buying like candy. Exactly. Exactly. And and to your point again, December 20th, what's to stop the, um, the appraisal of that, of that home. And, you know, Hey, I put it on the market for, you know, 120 million and nobody bought the house. So I'm going to value it at 60 million. Right. It, it, it just it's going to be too difficult from an accounting perspective. Um, the other thing that I, you know, I, I learn something new every day, right? In this job and this business, and uh, I learned new new phrases. And scope creep was one that popped up on one of these articles. Scope creep, uh, basically, there there was somebody um, proposing that this billionaire's tax would eventually creep down to from billionaires to millionaires to everybody, right? Correct. And this, and this is the way that these proposals always go. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. They had a 3.7 or $3.5 trillion spending package that they've now whittled down to $1.75 trillion, right? And what are they trying to fund? Well, the, the number one largest proponent of this spending package is for clean energy, climate-controlled you know, investments, and they're putting a half a tri- over half a trillion dollars into this this area which has been done before and i think is a noble effort and is you know is needed does it need to be subsidized with a half a trillion dollars of taxpayer dollars i think people like elon musk and jeff bezos and richard branson are probably better suited to handle the world's climate problems because they're passionate they have the resources they have a free market in which will enable them to hire the right people pay the right people market value and create products and services that will enable all of us to continue to live our lives the way we want to or better and do things that are, you know, very, very healthy for the economy, right? Tesla's an easy example with all their their fleets of electric cars. And we're going to talk about them in a little bit. The other thing is all to subsidize childcare, child tax credits, a lot of things that came out of the COVID pandemic, which were really trying to battle how do we help middle class or lower income working families who are who are raising children provide a better life and lifestyle and you're talking about another 600 billion dollars being spent in this this area and i think that this is is very good but again everyone's arguing well the the billionaires tax is so that they pay their fair share and i think that most billionaires would probably argue that they are paying their fair share and you know, I look at a lot of this, like the spending that gets done in Washington, and I just wonder, like, how effective are we allocating our resources to the right places, right? Should right. the government be in control of universal preschool? I like the childcare tax credit, right? So now we're ensuring that certain people aren't spending more of their you know, disposable income, your gross income, no more than 7% on child care. So now you get a credit, which is a very impactful tax benefit. But some of these other things, I think maybe this isn't in the government's, maybe the government isn't the one best suited to, to spend these dollars for me. Well, it, 
I'm not proposing that I am uh, going to be the savior here, but isn't the answer to this somewhere in between? Meaning that we, we don't need to see it as so black and white as, hey, if I pay 20% uh, tax on capital gains uh, when I realize them, then these billionaires should pay 20% capital gains tax, even if they're unrealized. U understanding that such a, such a piece of legislation would make somebody like Bezos maybe cut some of the childcare programs at Amazon or, or cut some of the, the benefits. Like you said, the privatization, even, even a space travel, the privatization should be left to private companies, right? Because that's how the system, that's how the system can work in the long term. The government regulation of this and, and, and taking money of unrealized gains out of billionaires' pockets is, is going to have a trickle-down effect. And, sure will. And, and then- and then what about unrealized losses, right? So, you know, if the, if the billionaire makes an investment and it goes down in value by 20%, are, are they going to be able to recapture that? Or are they going to be able to uh, offset their capital gains with that? It, it's wrought with uh, just the same loopholes that are going to be available or maybe different loopholes that are going to have the same effect, right? Right. And wouldn't I put all of my appreciated assets into qualified accounts? And are they going to, I didn't, I don't know if they're going to include qualified accounts, but I think about that Peter Thiel, $5 billion Roth IRA we've talked about a bunch, where is, is that going to be subject to those unrealized wealth tax or billionaire tax? In theory, no, right? It's sheltered in this qualified account. Yeah, well, the, the wealth tax is a cluster. There's no way they're going to pass that, right? The billionaire's tax, they got a better shot at. Um, but again, they're going to run into the same problems of, of the valuation of the assets and you know what is an unrealized gain and, and what are the appraisal values. But we shall see. That's going to that's gonna probably uh, play out in the next couple of weeks. Let's go that'll to- be in, That'll be in a future from the feed. Yes, yes. Let's go to the metaverse. <laughs> What's a metaverse, Andrew? <laughs> What's a Zuckerberg <Yeah>. metaverse? <laughs> well, so this was from uh, Reuters, right? Facebook changes its name to Meta, uh, refocuses its on its virtual reality. Now, this has been in the news literally everywhere. You can't turn on any of your news feeds and, and not see this. This has been underway for quite some time, though, the, the changing of the name. I think it's more relevant now because, I mean, the Facebook name and brand has been badly tarnished. Yeah. Right. They've been under a lot of scrutiny. They've had they had that whistleblower. You know, they're talking about how much censoring is or is not happening and whatever side of the fence you're on. Right. Too much censoring, not enough censoring. The problem for both of those camps seems to be Facebook. Right. They are the, the issue. Right. So most people will typically correlate Facebook with just the social media platform. Right. So the the one that I think more than a third of the entire world's population is now on and active users on a daily or a weekly basis. But the reality is that they do so much more than this. They've, they've invested in augmented reality, virtual reality. They have messaging you know, services and platforms that are outside and beyond just the Facebook social media platform. Uh, obviously, they all integrate, but you know, this move to the, the metaverse I know Zuckerberg and his announcement was trying to say, hey, this is trying to embody more of what we are doing as a company. But I think it was just a really big PR and marketing move, right? Like, 100. let's get away from this whole Facebook, the evil empire sort of connotation in culture right now. And let's get to 
metaverse is going to save you. And it's going to be the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll go one step further. It's, this is, this is uh, Marky Mark's play to get out of Congress, right? He just, he's sick of sitting up there and explaining himself and explaining the algorithms and explaining uh, how he's not a bad person and how he's bringing the world together and being told that you know he's dividing the world apart by by not having the proper you know protocols in place to to monitor hate speech and all that this spins off facebook as a separate part of meta in which he is not the CEO, right? They assigned a separate CEO to the Facebook arm, the Instagram arm, the WhatsApp arm, and now Zuckerberg's back on top of the hill and he can blame the other guys. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, it'll be curious to see how Wall Street reacts to this because they're certainly not the first company to do this, right? Um, another really popular example, Google, when they changed from Google to Alphabet. So now their, their stock, which still trades under one of the two tickers that synonymous with Google, but the company in and of itself is named Apple Inc. Alphabet, right? Oh yeah. Sorry. Alphabet. <laughs> Getting all my tech giants mixed up today. Well, yeah. So will Wall Street re reward Meta as now considering all of these other products and services that they're doing? Obviously they've already been reported and disclosed, but most people still consider them Something a, I just a social media too, platform. Right now, and I'm, I'm going back to some articles um, about the uh, monopoly, this gets them out of that. This gets them out of that bind, right? Right? Because if they're saying that you know Zuckerberg controls all of social media because Facebook owns Instagram and WhatsApp, and if if he spins it off and creates Meta and has these three other companies, then he could feasibly say that you know there's there's no monopoly to be seen here. Move on. Uh, I don't think they spun off and like nothing's actually changed except the name. So, like the, the, the corporate structure hasn't he's changed still the at all. He, well, he's CEO, you know, he's still Meta the CEO. Now, but, but what I heard is that they're going to be spinning off and having separate CEOs for the different branches. Maybe, but today nothing has changed, right? Like it's, it's still the same yesterday as it is today from, you know, that, that may be where they're going. I don't know if that necessarily gets them out of that like monopoly. We well, let's, let's segue Facebook, because I wanted, I wanted to ask the question, where's Zuckerberg's flight to Mars, right? Where's his spaceship? And moving on to Tesla and Elon Musk, uh, Tesla was in the spotlight this week after it surpassed $1 trillion in market capitalization. Um, it's not as profitable as the major automakers, uh, but the market is pricing the stock such that Tesla will have more profit growth in the future than its peers. Uh, earnings came out, Andrew, and, you know, the... the the stock soared yet again. I mean, I think it's up like 20% since right before the earnings. The P.E. ratio on this thing is just crazy, right? It's out of hand. I, I can't explain it. I can't, I can't even explain it to people when they're like, well, what's a 325 P.E. ratio? Well, that means that the price is 325 times what the earnings is. I, I, how does that make sense? I don't get it. Well, what's interesting was there was two pretty significant events that happened with Tesla. And the earnings were good, but were not the reason you saw the stock skyrocket. Because literally, I think it was the next day or the day after, they had that announcement from Hertz was ordering 100,000 vehicles for the Hertz fleet, which also is presents a very interesting storyline around Tesla today, right? Because... You have Tesla, I mean, absolutely smashing 
expectations, endless expectations, which the idea of this, by the way, let's pause here for a second, has always confused me, right? Because all of Wall Street firms and the big banks have these analysts who cover these companies. And analysts, what they do prior to a company releasing its earnings and projections and revenue and all of these numbers uh, that they report publicly, will say, here's what our expectations are. And if the company comes in, let's say they're, they're projected to make a dollar per share, and the company comes in at 89 cents, they say, well, company XYZ has missed expectations. No, right, Mr. Analyst, right, right, right. you missed the projection. <laughs> you were, you weren't, the company did what the company did. You missed it. Or if they exceed it, they say, well, company exceeded, you know, expectations. No, you just lowballed them. So I don't understand that whole dynamic of why we put so much clout in, in Wall Street analysts other than the banks put so much clout in Wall Street analysts. But that's a conversation for, for a different day. They did make a tremendous amount of money, gross margins up 30.5% on its auto business, 26% overall. That's a record you know, over the last five quarters. They're literally just printing money, right? You, you know, Revenues rose to $12.6 billion. Auto revenue was $8.3 billion for the quarter. I mean, they literally have a printing press with money just rolling out in, in the back of those offices. So it's incredible what they're doing. That, that big bump that we saw that day where it, was, it surged like 12% was that whole Hertz announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what, what Elon t tweeted last night, <laughs> See, that there is, is no mean. actual contract signed for, this is what I mean. for these, Hertz, these Hertz orders. Now, they are, they are delivering. It's, it's, it is a lot of speculation. The market's moving on a tweet. It's, it's a right? lot of speculation. It's no and longer it, are there press releases, right? Yes. It, it no longer press releases come out quarterly that, that move things on fundamentals. Like you said, the analyst estimates, I, 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 would, say, I would say they're skewed and arbitrary. Well, it's it, but it's not that much different, right? No, because what makes a tweet no, I'm saying the more or less arbitrary are, are than a press release? and arbitrary. If if you're if you're a, an analyst for Merrill Lynch and you're sitting there and you want the stock price to go up and you think earnings are going to be ninety two cents and you put down eighty nine, right? Not a big difference, not a far stretch, and all of a sudden they come out at ninety two and you put eighty nine and you exceeded expectations. Come on, that's just manipulation, you know. Which th this this argument or conversation has been going on since the dawn of the information age. When you have to consider, well, what is the incentive of said investment bank right. in the success or failure of that company? How much do they own on their books? How much will that you know impact their balance sheet and their quarterly earnings that? that are coming out, or at least a division of. I, I have long been a uh, an Elon Musk fan. I think what he does is 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 brilliant. I think he, he too, as evidenced by this tweet last night, does not put a lot of clout in the conversations and some of the hearsay and, you know, trying to uh, pump these, you know, these shares up. You know, his tweet, uh, I'd like to emphasize no contract has been signed. You know, da, 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 da. Hertz deal has zero effect on our economics. So, yes, our stock price is accurate, right. but, but it shouldn't have anything to do with the, the Hertz deal. As that's what someone is willing to pay for it now. The valuation of the company, we, we always say, is, is number of shares outstanding times price per share. But it just doesn't make sense of of the revenue that Tesla is driving right now is is far below 
what that company's valuation is over a trillion dollars. All right, that's a great segue into our next article. So this article titled, Investors Are Getting Very Greedy Again, coming from CNN.com just here at the end of October. And it's talking about the decline we've seen in the VIX. So first, what is the VIX? The VIX is just a volatility measurement. So Wall Street refers to this as their fear gauge. And it says the VIX has plummeted more than 30% in October so far, and it's uh, it's at its 52-week low. So what does this mean? Uh, Essentially, the VIX is measuring sentiment, or it's supposed to measure sentiment or the comfortability of the investing public. So what this is telling us is that consumer confidence or investor confidence right now is at at least a one-year high because volatility or the fear gauge that's being measured in the market is declining, and declining by a pretty significant number. 30% is a pretty significant number. What should we make of this? It, it is it is significant, uh, but you know you mentioned kind of the parameters of of one year, right? And really, if you go back historically and look at the VIX, there's 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 a limit to greed and fear, and that's what the the VIX measures. And we don't see these kind of swings as much historically, right? So even though it's significant for the past year, just you know, the past 80 years, while well, the VIX hasn't been around that long, but, but the, you know, the past few decades, uh, that's, it, it speaks to the confidence that people have. I don't think, Andrew, just over the last year, it's over the last 13 years, sure. right? Because remember, we talked before at a former episode about, uh, you know, if you got a 30-year-old that got into the market in 2009, they haven't lost money. And now they're 43 years old, right? And and the other thing I should mention too with the with this article is it's through MSN, but it's a CNN article, and it's talking about the CNN Business Fear and Greed Index, which looks at the VIX and six other measures of investor sentiment. So you know, I don't want to get into the you know self-serving part of the media aspect of it um, because there is some validity to this, and and we. We know it. We see it in the market with higher PE ratios, with you know just overvalued assets. But doesn't necessarily mean that a correction is coming, like we always hear. Yeah, right? and I think it's reference to investor sentiment is now trading near extreme greed territory, quote unquote. And so, right. what should the average investor really take from this? Well, the VIX as a tool or a uh, a measurement stick as far as how to make investment choices day to day, probably should not be your only variable or catalyst. And shouldn't be at all. Right. It shouldn't be a factor, right? And, and if, if anything, a contrarian factor, right? If you see the greed index is high, that's when you should be selling. If we're talking about the average investor who is a frequent trader, right? Are you about to, are you about to you quote see the greed Warren Buffett right now? <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, is that coming? Is that quote coming? But yeah, it's, I mean, and if there's blood on the streets, you want to make sure you go to McDonald's and get your egg McMuffin. <laughs> the VIX is, is trading around 18 right now. And at levels this low, if we just look historically, when the VIX gets this low and sentiment is fairly bullish or greed is high, 
Oftentimes, this can precede a pretty dramatic decline, right? The VIX was this low back in late 2007, and we all remember what happened in 2008 and 2009, the housing and the credit crisis. The VIX was at an all-time low in 99-2000, right before the tech bubble burst. And you see this extreme confidence in the marketplace right now. And let's be honest, everybody thinks that they are you know, the next Peter Thiel or the next, you know, Warren Buffett or the next whatever, because whether it's meme stocks, cryptocurrency, or any of the other crazes, it's been fairly easy, as you alluded to, to make money. And if you're 30, 35 years old and you've been investing for the last 15 years, like it hasn't been that difficult to make money, especially here in the last three. For sure. And the, but, you know, the monumental news is absent. Right. I mean, we're, we're in this 24 hour news cycle uh, and we have been since the 80s, really. But um, it, it progresses more and more every year to where news is and trading is more readily available. Um, so, the, you know, the reasons for the change in the past month of the VIX uh, is third quarter earnings sure. were good. Right. And also the global supply chain problems, the market is just kind of shrugging them off. Right. And, you know, I, I buy that, you know, I, I, I think it's just a, a product of, you know, the pandemic last year, people being out of work, it just needs time to catch up. And, and the market is, is echoing that sentiment as well. Right. So as soon as there's some more certainty around, as you say, supply chain issues or inflation, which has been a big talk of the town, would people feel that, they have a, a handle on what is to happen in the future, which is a very dangerous mindset. Then they 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 tend to be more more confident. You, you know what the you know what the scary part is though, Andrew. It it's what we hear in times like this is, hey, the market went down today. Just the tone of that, that's that's what scares me, right? Because the green has got you know when a person says that. It's with the element of surprise, right? They're not used to, you know, one day we know that the market going down one day, it's it's goes down 48% of days of the year, right? But when there's so many days in a row or you know, percentage wise out of every month of the past 13 years, but especially the past year and a half, um, when, an, when an investor is surprised or lightly disappointed even by a day where the market goes down, I think that's concerning. Speaking of surprises, this is coming from The Motley Fool. The title of the article, Two Toxic Cryptocurrencies to Sell Right Now. Talk <laughs> about your classic clickbait. <laughs> um, right. They, they got us, but uh, yeah. You know, we talked about this in another episode too. So we got Shiba Inu and Dogecoin. Man, no, not pronouncing that correctly. Doge. Dogecoin. Look, we've been over this, right? The fundamentals are are just not there. It's not a, it's not an, I mean, I don't want to say it's not an asset, but it's it, it's not a product or a service, right? And we can't even put a, a currency value on it in relation to other currencies because the value is whatever people think it is that day and whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. Well, I, I think it's important to understand the difference between a Shiba Inu and a Bitcoin or an Ethereum. So cryptographic assets, in my opinion, are here to stay. And we, we talked about this just a couple articles ago, right? So as Web 3.0 continues to develop, Facebook changes its name from Facebook to Meta. Why? Because they believe in this metaverse idea that 
the digital economy and people's lives are being spent more and more inside of the environment that we're in right now, right? We're, we're communicating online. We, you know, we, we operate our businesses online. And as that, as that reality grows more and more for more consumers and more people, things like digital currency, cryptographic assets, NFTs become much more relevant and much more practical. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is that crypto coins, the different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Filecoin, Shiba Inu, they all have specific coding inside of them that allows them to do very specific things. For example, Bitcoin is really just a, a currency replacement. Ethereum is a smart contract that executes contracts when certain parameters are met. Shiba Inu, as a design token, is meant to exploit popular dog memes on the internet. So while I, <laughs> I see a, a lot of value in something like Ethereum to execute, let's say, a mortgage contract or um, you know, to pay off, it, you know, to buy a car from your car dealership and process taxes, tags, and everything through through a smart contract, opposed to all of the financial intermediaries that you you may use today. That that has a really practical use inside of our economy. What does exploiting popular dog memes have as a far practical yeah. use in our yeah. economy? So, to your point, we we've seen it's meteoric. 60 million percent rise in value since its its inception. I think it says somewhere in here that the average holder of this is holding it for like 11 days or you know something like that. So it's obviously people trading just trying to right. get a fraction of that 60 million percent rise in its its value. But at the end of the right. day, what what is the real value of this thing? Well, nothing, right? And I'm glad you differentiated because our, our conversations, Andrew, are, are changing. If you if you've noticed over the past you know few months with cryptocurrency, right? And differentiating Bitcoin and Shiba Inu is is very important, right? So, like you said, you know, this article goes over the 11 day hold for Shiba Inu. While that certainly speaks to just speculative trading without any regard for fundamentals, like let me get in at six one hundredth of a cent and see if I can get out at seven one hundredth of a cent. Whereas Bitcoin and Ethereum now have average hold times of 83 and 80 days, respectively, it says. So, you know, I, I would like to see what those numbers were for Bitcoin and Ethereum two, three years ago, what the average hold time was, right? I, I would bet it's probably shorter than it is now. And, and I think it's going to get longer, right? As people start to use crypto. I just started, you know, using using Bitcoin to pay for things. And I was I was like surprised how, how, how easy it is, you know? But you can't do that with Shiba Inu as far as I know for now. And it is it needs to be differentiated in the investor's head as as not an investment. Right. Cause because everybody always believers in these these crap coins, as I like to call them, always crack. crack? Like oh, poop crap. emoji crap. <laughs> <laughs> they, they say things like what the you know total limit of coins available will be and how supply and demand is going to drive up price. But to what extent? That's nah, crap. Right. <laughs> but crap. to but to what it to what extent? And what what happens? You you're living on the premise that somebody else is going to buy this at a higher value. Well, the that's a nice segue, Andrew, right? Into the into the the last thing we wanted to talk about, which is the greater fool theory. So let's just 
pull it all together, the greater fool theory. And, you know, I learned something new every day and certainly on, on this podcast and doing research. Um, greater fool theory is simply an investing concept that suggests you can profit by buying an overvalued asset because someone else, the greater fool, will buy it for more in the future. Uh, I would even go so far as to say this theory translates into, uh, it doesn't have to be an overvalued asset. It doesn't have to be like we're talking about Shiba Inu, people are buying that and holding to it, holding onto it for 11 days and they're just buying it because they think somebody else is going to pay more for it in right. the future. Right? They're not saying, hey, Shiba Inu is going to come out with uh, you know, a new electric car or Shiba Inu is going to take a rocket to space. There is nothing about it that people know any more than the price fluctuates so dramatically that they feel that they can get a profit from it sometime in the near future. What I think is interesting about this, and social psychologists have long debated and written about this topic, many people are, are acting on the premise of the greater th fool theory without realizing it. Right. And an easy yeah. example of that would be go back now 15, 20 years ago in this country with the housing boom. And people were leveraging credit cards, home equities to buy second, third, fourth properties. Average, you know, Americans with not a tremendous amount of knowledge is in the real estate investing world now becoming real estate titans because money was cheap and housing prices were only going to go up. That was the sentiment. And not just of everyday average Americans, but also Wall Street banks and everybody else involved in the, you know, the real estate market. Right. That's a great point, Andrew, because it goes back to the other article about the greed index, right? So we're tying this all together. The housing the housing bubble, right, from 1999 when the tech boom ended, you go up to about 2003. It seems these cycles are four years of of fear and greed, right? And and people people top out at four years, and in the fourth year, that's where everybody got in, right? That's where that's where mom and pop couldn't take any more of, of seeing these millionaires driving around in Ferraris. And, you know, and they're sitting there in their Disney stock and, and GE, right? And that's right. where they that's where they hop in. And that's and that's the most dangerous place to, to, to hop in. Happened with the tech bubble, 99, everybody got in. That was the height of the tech bubble. Boom, March 9th, 2000, gone. Then the real estate. And, you know, you remember 2003, four, right? You got people buying houses for $1.2 million and they got a combined annual income of 65,000. Did it make sense? But- Hey, you know what? My neighbors just made a hundred grand uh, on their house, and it, you know, blew my mind at the time. But interest still only, does. interest only, adjustable rate mortgages, and all, all of the riskiest things you could do. And what you're risking is the place where you're going to sleep at night for your family. Five, five year interest only in 2003, Andrew. I saw it all day long. Fortunately, the establishment that I worked for wasn't allowing those kind of mortgages to go through the stated income mortgages, which is really what blew everybody up. But uh, that's that's for another podcast episode. I kind of remember the institution you working for at the time, eventually getting bought out by somebody. <laughs> but, yeah, by another institution that did it. And then when, look, it was, we can name names, right? CalFed was the bank I worked for. Citibank bought CalFed 
And the problem was Washington Mutual's mortgage brokers were doing those interest-only five-year loans with stated income, right? So, hey, yeah, I make $150,000 a year. Can I get a loan for a million bucks? Sure, no problem. And the people at Washington Mutual were right next door and they were and people would come over and I go, they're allowing you to do that? They're like, yeah, sure, it'll be fine, Bill. And it wasn't, right? Couldn't stop them. You, you can't tell somebody when they think they're going to make a hundred grand a year from a, you know, a 20% down purchase that they're, they're going down a dark road. All right. That's it for today, folks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We hope it made you think about either something you didn't know, something you'd like to know, or something you thought you knew. So please like, comment, share with a friend, any way you get your podcasts. For Dollars and Sensibilities, I am Bill McBride. And Andrew Marks. We'll see you on the flip side of the coin. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.